1: Pretty much made it my home, my life, my passion. I have other passions, unfortunately, for my sins. I'm an Arsenal supporter and a Sharks supporter, so we're going to do pretty much everything on the show as it pertains to media, marketing, and money. But we don't take jokes about Arsenal or the Sharks.
2: I'm Doug Mateus, uh the doc on the show. Uh, and again, for those of you who don't know me, I've I spent 30 years in, in uh, various companies in South Africa Uh, running uh, different marketing functions and the last job I had I was privileged enough to work with a team that took uh, the brand to the fastest growing brand in South Africa in 2018 with a 47% year on year growth. So that was a a great achievement uh, for the team and and, and I'm really proud of that. Uh, From a personal point of view I do a little bit of cycling uh, and also snow skiing so we quite enjoy that but again Uh, today's discussion is around all things marketing and media yep
1: that's right doc all things marketing and media no subject too big no topic too small no subject too hot to handle please get in touch with us on our facebook page follow us like us whatever it takes we would love you to be involved with the show and uh, we really want to make it as inclusive and as energetic as i know this industry is capable of Morning, Doc. How are you doing? Hey, Gordon. I'm fine. How are you? I'm all right. Yeah, not too bad. It's been an interesting week for all of us. I, I, I note with uh, some concern that you haven't commented on my hair this morning.
2: Uh, hey, sorry, Gordon. But, uh, let me put my glasses on. Ah, yeah, no, looking... best,
1: best, best you don't. <laughs> uh, don't comment on the hair. Uh, don't just, just leave the hair out of the this, this session you're today. You're
2: looking as dashing as ever, Gordon. As, uh,
1: you know. well, I've rediscovered. The joys of doing things I was not allowed to do in COVID, Um, just like a simple thing like walking on the beach. Yeah. But highly recommend it to anybody. You don't have to fly to the ends of the earth and blow your entire holiday budget. You can just go for a walk on the beach and you feel good.
2: Yeah, that's right. You were away last weekend. Amazing discovery. (laughs) Well, welcome back.
1: Yeah, thank you. And talking about welcome backs, um, we've got with us today Wayne Bishop, who is the Managing Director of PHD. And I say welcome back because somewhere along the line, Wayne, who started out uh, his uh, media career in South Africa, had a spell in Australia. We'll talk about that. So it's a kind of a belated welcome back. Wayne, how are you, man? How long have you been back? It's about five years now. Yeah, about seven now. At seven. Yeah. You know, it's just that you're not aging. You uh, look like you've only been away for five.
0: <laughs> That's because I stay indoors out of the sun
1: all the time. <laughs> With the or talking about saying out the sun, Doc and I were both really impressed to see you this morning. You've got a jacket on, uh, you're looking really elegant. You've obviously decided enough working at home. Uh, you're just coming into, uh, you're going into the office. That's impressive.
0: Yeah, I, I actually have, I battle at home because it's first of all the, the home, my house is very cold, so during winter it was unbearable at some point. and uh, there's just too many distractions there um, with the kids at home. So. Was much more productive for me to to come into the office so the minute we we sort of opened up under level four i think or level whatever it was 4a 4c whatever it was um i was the first one back so there's regularly about three three to five of us uh, every day now it feels almost normal Yeah, so, i mean so
1: kids are no respecters of productivity that that uh, even i've discovered uh, but just talking about the fact that you've got kids leads me to my first question which is how old are you? I mean, are, are you in terms of uh, WPB speak, I know you're over 30. Are you, are you still employable? I mean, are you actually allowed to I have a job? Know. I mean, how have you swung it, you know, to be employed in, in your mid-30s when clearly you're massively over the hill? <laughs> yeah, I'm 30,
0: 39 this year. So, so last year of, of being in the 30s, but uh, yeah, I think that that comment uh, certainly did did cause some, some trouble around the world for WPP leadership.
1: Yeah, I think as Mark Reed has tried to backtrack off that one, but once it's out, it's out, as as we've discovered from uh, you know the recent clicks uh, scenario. Um, what 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 is your take? I mean, what is the your group the I mean, it's the Omnicom Group <clears throat> policy on on Asian media. Is it relevant? I mean, for me. From my perspective, you know, as I approach 70, I mean, it's my children who won't be employed in, in media. That's my concern. Um, I'm just saying, get over it and get on with it, for heaven's sakes. It's always been like this. It's a young person's industry. What's the bloody problem?
0: Well, it's completely it's completely irrelevant. I mean, you, you should be hiring based on, you know, diversity of thought and and not discriminating on any basis. So, you know, you need people to bring different perspectives. So you need a good mix of people. And um, I think that uh, working in Australia and, and working with our worldwide team, it's quite nice because you get a, you get a, a big range of, of ages. And of course, people that come from all over the world. Um, one of the criticisms generally for global businesses that they tend to be run by expats, normally British citizens um, or Americans. And there's a real change in that, you know, just to try and get some, some more, um, sort of diversity of thoughts in there they've been looking to the rest of europe um there's a couple of sort of south africans and, and africans that are running global business now um latin Americans. and and it's good it's it's giving everybody just totally different perspectives on things and and sort of not the um you know not not what we've come to to be to get used to in, in the last couple of years and i think age makes makes no difference omnicom has a policy in south africa on retiring at about 60. Um, and I suppose just in this market, that's just to encourage uh, or leave some space for some some new blood to come in a bit quicker. But uh, generally, I think our, our average age is is uh, well over fifty. Um, might be I might actually be the average average age for for our group. Um, I think it's around about
1: forty. Well, I mean, you know, retiring at sixty at least it's it's better than Sir Ramaphosa's version. I mean, he just locked us in the house at sixty. We we, we weren't even allowed to walk around the neighbourhood. Doc, I mean, you're the only person <laughs> in, in the advertising world that's even vaguely my, close to my age. What, what have you got to say about this?
2: Yeah. No. Well, firstly, Wayne, hi, man. It's nice to, nice to chat with you again. I haven't seen you for a bit. So, um, yep. yeah, glad to hear you well and, and all the rest of it. Yeah, look, Gordon, it's like, you know, it's like anything in life, I guess. You know, any form of, of discrimination that is dysfunctional uh, and, and takes away from the good, I, I can't back that, you know what I mean? I, I'm saying, you know, you need to you need to transform and, and be diverse and, and all of those things. And, and, and I'm all for that in a constructive way. So, you know, yeah, look, I mean, it's, you know, you can't say to a 40, 45-year-old person that, I'm sorry, that's the end of the road, you know, specifically if you've got sort of fif- at least 15 years of, of planning financially that, that you need to account for, you know, you need to, you can't say at 45 I'm over the hill. So unless, of course, your value is. You know, you haven't moved at the times and, you, and, you, and, and you've now become uh, of less value. That's a different equation. And Gordon, you and I have spoken at length now. I'm not going to repeat all of those things about skills, about upskilling, about an industry being taken seriously, about all of those things. <coughs> now, that goes for a 25-year-old person as it does for a 45-year-old. So I don't think it's an age issue. I think it's a reinvention. It's an old cliche of mm-hmm. learn, unlearn. You know, I'm not going to go through all those management cliches. But that's and, – and, and I think the problem, I guess, today with um, – you know, with COVID and and the supply-demand of skills, you know, if people are, more people are losing their jobs, um, y- your your pool of people is more out there. So you have got to work hell of a hard to make sure that you're still the right person in that position and not just take it for granted. So, yeah, and also Wayne, it's nice that you guys are back in the office. You know, certainly Gordon and I, um, when we were allowed you came into the studio. So we like the, the interpersonal dialogue, but uh, obviously you're phoning in on Zoom. So so again, just thanks again for that. It's a long intro, but thanks for your time and we always appreciate your views. Yeah. no don't
1: worry. The, uh, I mean, your point that, you know, Doc is, and I, I'm totally buying into to what Wayne's saying. When I grew up in ad agencies where people sat and discussed things together, but the point on upskilling is, you know, there's this meme that you're only as good as your last idea. I say that's just complete bollocks. You're only as good as your next idea. And if you're upskilling in that, so if I'm being, inverted commas, discriminated against because of my age, the truth of the matter is I'm probably being discriminated against because I haven't bothered to update myself. That's a different issue altogether. But let's let just take a step back to your, your spell, to Ozzy, because I think that was quite a, a formative period for you. I mean, you went from South Africa, you went out there. What what did you see there which, A, kept you in media, because that's the good news, we hemorrhaged too many people, and B, led you to conclude that you know, if you came back here, you could make a positive contribution.
0: Yeah, at that stage, I mean, Australia is an interesting market. It's got a very, very high um, GDP per capita, so it's a, a wealthy nation. And um, despite being so far away from, from most of the, the markets, it's very exposed to China. And China was booming around that time at about seven or eight percent GDP growth. You know, was was one point two billion people. You you can kind of see the wealth in the whole of Asia Pacific. Just Australia was advanced, uh, you know, massive mining operations. Massive financial services sector and services-based economy, uh, propped up by agriculture. So there was a lot of investment from from APEC, um, Japan, Southeast Asia, China, and so you know there was there was there was big leaps in in wealth creation at that stage in in the market, and with that came certainly a little bit of inflation. I think at uh, that stage, my first year in Sydney, Sydney was the second most expensive city in the world to live in um but but because because you, your your dollar meant something there you know you started to acquire high ticket items um, German vehicle sales in, at that time was through the roof uh, which wasn't normal because you know for German vehicles to get there they got to travel quite far. So the cost to to get Mercedes and, and BMW in the market was was very very high but you started to see more and more of them on the road and and then, of course, with production of, of iPhones and smart devices coming out of Asia, almost everybody had a smartphone almost. So I think in my first year, there, 33% of the market um, was connected to an iPhone or an Apple device. Um, iPads also, I think it was one of the fastest growing markets in terms of penetration. They also did digital, the digital TV switch quite quickly. Um, they just planned it, phased it, and got it done. So there was a lot of interesting media developments in the market, and I think the biggest learning was, other than working with, with James Hyer, who I rate as probably the, the best influence, biggest and best, best influence on, on my career, but working very closely with him to rebuild this, this WPP agency um, was, was a nice challenge, and then coupled with... The fact that you had you know, loads of people spending money and, and 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 I think tons and tons of new media outlets to look at. Um, it was a really interesting time those three years. Um, and so I just got stuck into understanding digital media, trying to call bullshit on on you know all of the all of the stuff it promises to be. Um, and I remember us actually referencing a case study many times. Uh, about Unilever in China who who attempted to launch a brand in digital media only and it was a spectacular flop and we we sort of had to caution the clients not to just throw everything into this online media because you you still need to do some kind of brand building but everything from virtual reality to content-based webisodes, mobisodes, gaming platforms um, even search. I mean, we started a search division when I was there. We started a social division, an analytics and insights division. It was almost like, like working in a company that was broken. And then instead of putting band-aids on everything, we were breaking stuff up and rebuilding them from the ground up. And I think, you know, that experience, those three years were, were like worth 20. You know, just from the people I work with and, and some of the tasks and, and the projects I got involved in, it was a fantastic experience. The, the reason I came back is because, you know, speaking of, sort of companies being ageist, the entire market in Australia is is quite ageist. It's like you don't get promoted until you hit your 40s. We don't get promoted to any meaningful post until, you, until you're in your 40s. And um, when you're in your 20s and your 30s, you can kind of get ahead by becoming sort of a head of a department or a senior strategist or something like that. You never get to management level, um, unless you are, unless you come from the UK. funny funny enough. So I I felt that I'd done everything I needed to do and what I could do there and that actually I could take all of the learnings in Australia and apply them to the South African market and see see if I can have have a hand in rebuilding or reshaping a a company or an industry or a group or something like that. And um, it was quite nice. I mean, I transferred directly from MEC Sydney, which is now Wavemaker, to MEC Joburg. And I was only there eight months. There just wasn't enough for me to do at NEC Joburg. Um, and then grabbed the PhD role. And that's been amazing. You know, instead of having to break things down and build them from the bottom up, I just started from the bottom up because there was, there was nothing yet to build. So it was really cool. It was a, it's been a great experience so far. and uh, I've loved um, everything about it and, and really don't regret moving back from Australia at all.
1: Yeah, so let's talk about PhD a little bit. I mean, um, most people assume PhD uh, is a reference to a doctorate, you know, but PhD was founded in London in the early 90s, I think maybe even 1990 by David Patterson, Nick Horswell, and Jonathan Durden. That's the P and the H and the D in PhD. And it was positioned in those days as a counterfoil to the buy cheap media movement. So, you know, the, moving the emphasis back onto what we used to call in the 70s and 80s media planning um, with consumer insights and media behavior as, as, a, as a foundation. Where, where does PhD position itself in the media cosmos these days? Is that still relevant, that positioning?
0: You're listening to The Dark and the Guru, proudly brought to you by Infinity Media. so it's it started um to to get away from the gorillas with calculators um, at that stage you had you had the first bit of, of massive consolidation you had you know agencies merging and a couple of first sort of dips in the uh, toe in the water for for buying up big buying groups and, and trying to create scale and, and leverage that to to buy cheaply and um, you're right uh, old Patterson, Horswell and Durden, they they sort of broke away and, and I think their first ever ad that took out an ad in uh, Ad Age or Ad Review or one of those titles was, um, you know, a company that always puts your brand in the right place. And it was a picture of the, you know someone's head and and the image inside. So, you know, branded, I mean, a company that always puts the brand in, in, the, in the minds of the consumer. And it was an emphasis on planning and that evolved to communications plan. Um, a little bit like... Sort of there were there were two companies in the UK around that time that, that propped up maybe five or ten years later called Micheladies and Bednash and, and Naked Communications. And the problem with those two is they went very far away from media whereas PhD stayed in media and and, and that meant they could have a lot more influence on investments. And it's pretty much we pretty much stayed there. Um in in South Africa we we probably one of the only PhD markets that doesn't Physically buy media. I mean, we employ no buyers. Um, that all is centralised under Omnicom's trading uh, division, um, which services both OMB and PHD. But it means that I can concentrate on on the the communications planning product that, that comes out of the company. And off the back of that, you've had lots of like small divisions that have popped up because it, it's really about sort of getting into communications consultancy spaces. So our consultancy division has has grown so nicely. Our performance marketing division has grown, you know, amazingly well this year. That's E-commerce, and, you know, response, uh, any any kind of response industry or, or response um, uh, campaigns. Um, you know, we we did a little bit of production and things like that, but that was more just to facilitate to get stuff ready. But loads of work on frameworks for for assets for, for creative assets. So getting into um how we think creative assets should be developed and 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 uh, and and launched and and constructed for for different messaging types for different segments. So the, the agency if anything has probably dialed up the you know the, the route where we came from the, the which was communications planning. we really dialed that up in, in in South Africa. And um and I think that the COVID situation working at home has really rendered our our agency quite borderless, which means that, you know, PhD is now consulting and, and doing work in the Netherlands, the States. And this is PhD South Africa, by the way, doing work in the Netherlands, the States, um, you know, Southeast Asia, um, uh, parts of the Middle East, and of course all over Africa. And, and so it's exciting. It's an exciting place to be because you've got all these new things that are nice and clever that, that stimulate you on a daily basis.
2: Well, that's—I mean—that's great to hear, Wayne, and, I, and I, you know, just again, you and I had the benefit of doing some work together a few years ago, and certainly, from a depth of thinking and strategy point of view, and again, you know, Gordon, I've made the point before, and I, I didn't didn't mean to be too harsh on, on on a lot of strategists, but the reality of the situation is that I am um, certainly through through the times. Have not made too many strategies to, I, I thought, with that shop. You know what I mean. Uh, whereas I think Wayne, you know, in terms of what you guys bring to the party, and, and is that still, you know, from what I'm hearing now, you're talking about a lot of the the consulting work, and is, is that still one of your key uh, go-to markets? Is, is is your strategy strength?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And we we found that there's a there's more and more demand for it. Um, you know, over uh, since I would say since about 2017, it really dialed up. Um, you know, we battled in the Joburg market in the beginning because no one had ever heard of PhD and no one really knew me because i had been out of the market for a while. So we spent most of our new business meetings talking about ourselves, which is which is tough because you, you're trying to sell yourself first before you sell the solution, which is which is tough. Mm-hmm. Once we broke through in about 2016, it kind of the, 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 the cards and the dominoes and everything all, all lined up and, and it was much easier to get the meeting. And then it was just about Focusing on the solution, so so the communications planning and consultancy work is now uh, right at the centre of our business, and we probably have the largest uh, media strategy pool in the, in the country, and that goes across performance strategists, uh, digital strategists, and of course, um, hybrid strategists, and um, and the consulting work um, is is mainly based in media performance and data, but it's because we have these great brains lying around that we can tap into people with different skill sets and really produce a, a decent consultancy project uh, sorry product and it's interesting because I, I do chat to my competitors quite a lot and i'm on you know a good uh, good basis or good terms with all of them and and you know certainly been checking in with them to see how they're going over this period but you know before this year i think 2019 everyone was really worried about about clients taking their business in-house you know, we actually encourage that. We say, guys, you know, we're not interested in the billings. Mm-hmm. You need to pay us for our thinking. So, mm-hmm. we we actually proposed um, to to a couple of clients, um, TeleShare being one of them, that you need to upskill your your in-house team, and we will do that for you. So, our con- our consultancy is stretched into into training, uh, setting up in-house departments, and that means that what you use PhD for is they're not the execution, but you use them for the for the Consulting work off the back of that. And and that's been quite a has been quite refreshing to, to do whilst our competitors are really worried about losing the billings. It's quite nice to be quite secure in that and say, go for it. Set up your in-house digital division. Um we will we will help you set it up, we will help you recruit, we will train, and then we will even give you playbooks and, and frameworks and guidelines so that you can run run along with it. And that's led to more work. Great, you did a great job with us on the digital side. Can you please help us with, you know, setting up our our um, our creative guidelines or our media guidelines or whatever it is, um, you know, and, and and a lot of that is at various stages of being implemented across probably three or four major clients at the moment. But I would say that's been been really interesting is that we've been able to break away from this idea that you need billing.
2: Sure. Well, uh, uh, sorry, Gordon, I just don't to interrupt you, but I think, Wayne, that's, I mean, just, and Gordon's the expert on, on the media side, but that is a very different positioning, and I think, Gordon, just that report that you shared with me in terms of, you know, some of the reasons why strategists globally are optimistic over this period versus pessimistic. Is, and, I, and I'm just looking at some of those the, the the top reasons now is that role and the chance to shine now in that as a strategist, you know, so that marketing strategy and the clear strategy has come to the fore more so than ever before in COVID. And obviously, people who are pessimists felt you know they were worried about job losses and and redundancy, etc. But Wayne, it's just nice to hear that you guys are doing so well, not just locally but also you know the offshoots into into foreign markets. So again,
0: well done.
1: Yeah, you know, just.
0: It's a, it's a great time to be have to be honest, and I think I've actually, I saw this in a, in a Boston Consulting Group report a few years ago, but um, after the 2008 GFC, you saw loads and loads of consultancies pop up. You saw it again in the 70s, um, or before that you saw in the 70s, and you're likely to see that again now because people actually just can't afford to, to make the wrong decisions now because the stakes are so high because you've lost so much value. Economy, your, your business, um, and and you know you, you've also relooked the design of your marketing and your um, your marketing and your brand teams. You might have got cheaper. You might have uh, got rid of certain functions, and so you you need you need a partner that can really step into the marketing and branding role as well, um, which then is a much bigger value proposition for a for a for a, for a business owner or a GM or a CFO.
1: I'd love for somebody to do a word cloud uh, of, of this conversation. And what's intriguing me, and it's a very healthy son, is that in a conversation about media, mm-hmm. marketing, and brand mm-hmm. has come up as much as the word media. And I think that you know that's one of the key issues here. And and you know when you're you're thinking of back when I first met you and you were an intern, intern at OMD, um, the fact that you came out of a marketing degree background was really crucial for me. And I'm just concerned that too many media people are going straight in media without having that that, uh, that marketing uh, background. But also just to loop back as well, gorillas with calculators. I've always loved that phrase and I think I'm correct in attributing this to Harry Herber um, who wrote a piece on this uh, a while back uh, and it's still true today, gorillas with calculators. But quick question then. So if the answer is uh, you know uh, the strategic approach, if there's a, a brand and a marketing component to this, one of the the, the, the points which came out of that walk study on, uh, you know, the state of, of, of strategy in in the COVID uh, environment, was that the crisis has accelerated the shift to short termism. So, how, when how do you balance strategy with short term thinking?
0: So, you know, um, Peter Fields has been a pioneer in in analysing the RPA case studies and really putting down some some good. Um, thoughts on this, and and uh, him uh, alongside Les Burnett wrote uh, The Long and Short of It, which was talking about how long-term brand building alongside your short-term activations is actually what produces growth in the long term. Now, he's tracked, uh, Le- so this is now Peter Field, he's, he's written that crisis in creative effectiveness. Where I think it stems from is is in 2008, when when. Um, Wall Street pretty much destroyed the global economy. What what effectively happened is that businesses fundamentally changed the makeup and the profile of their senior leadership team. And, and I'm not sure of the stats, but it's something like this. I think in 2007, 2008, you had about around about 50% of listed company CEOs had a financial background. So they were CAs. By 2009, 2010, that number was like 76%. So that means that three quarters of, of listed company CEOs were now accountants. And accountants are all about um, the bottom line. And it's all about, you know, let's do stuff that works and you need to prove your case. And that meant that, you know, a ton of marketers who were, you know, really interested in in partnerships and, and distinctiveness and, and positioning and all of that, they sort of couldn't operate under that because now they turn themselves into just people that report all the time. And you become very reactive. Something you're running a TV ad, and then someone has a problem with it on Twitter. So you've got to pull it down, and then put the next one up. And it's just everyone gets quite reactive. Over a couple of years, you get really good at being reactive. So you structure your department, you approve your your suppliers and your vendors about their response uh, based on their response times. And that just breeds this negative feedback loop on on being reactive and and um, and quick to the mark and, and the word agile was thrown around so much so I reckon by about 2015 2016 it perfected this art as a marketer of being highly reactive and nimble and agile and all of this stuff but you would never look at a 3 three year or 5 year or 10 year uh, view it was all about can I make my money and hit my bonus in the first year and I've seen marketers destroy businesses based on that, I've seen marketers take products uh, ingredients out of body lotions to make it more profitable. Um I've seen them throw, you know, run volume driver after volume driver after volume driver because volume is the key KPI. And you know, two years later that brand is dead in the water. Um and so I've seen so many mistakes. So short termism is a real, real problem and, and off the back of that it means that that all of your creative now just has to sell, to generate sales off the bat, otherwise it's pulled cool and the agency is fired. And it's been dangerous because there, there is no long-term memory structures that, are, that a brand is building uh, into the consumer's mind anymore. And, you know, that's, that's what gets you across the line over the long term. So um, how you balance it is you go right back to the long and short of it from, from Burnett and Field They They talk about how um, long-term brand building uh, with, within these um, spikes of activation is, is, really, is really what get, uh, brings in the, the dough. And they've worked out that it's around about a 60-40 split. This has been tested various times by Nielsen and Kantor and all that, and it, it proves that it's it's somewhere there. But you know, the way I like to look at it is going back to Levi's in 1990s. They had this communications framework called Streams of Cool, Spikes of Creativity. And what they would do is they would occupy these spaces. Um, it would be they would they would sponsor some DJs. They would give editors free clothes they'd always write about them. They would sponsor uh, certain events in skateboarding and surfing and whatever it was. Um, and and the, those were those streams of cool. There were always these spaces of cool that they occupied for forever. And then these spikes of creativity were these highly controversial creative pieces just coming in and out of the market and creating so much noise around uh, publicity and controversy. But it was brilliant. And I'm I ah, myself so sitting in meetings, quoting streams of cool and, and sparks of creativity really often, often. I've been saying, right, that bit of activity there with that message, that's your stream of streams of cool. And this, this here is your, is your spikes of, of activation, your promos, whatever it is. And uh, that kind of construct is really playing out well um, for a number of our clients. So, so it, it's certainly true all these years later.
1: Just a quick question, because you've used a whole bunch of keywords there, which is my signal to toss it back to the doc. Uh, agile, nimble, streams of cool, all of those are his keywords. You can see his, <laughs> eye there, his eyes are lighting up here. Um, but I mean, is this not one of the points of conflict? Because uh, agile, nimble, creativity, streams of cool, and spikes of creativity belong to creative agencies. How do you, when you're partnering with a creative agency, uh, delineate that that kind of space. They they trying to move downstream into the media strategy. You trying to move upstream into the creative strategy. And somewhere in there is a fence which works, you know, pretty much like the fence uh, between South Africa and Zimbabwe.
0: There's a big hole in it. Hmm. What we're trying to do is we're trying to take away the non the the, the the non-essential parts of a creative agency's mm-hmm. business. And Mark Pritchard uh, at PNG is the same. He's like, you know, what I need, I need. Creative directors and ECDs and, and great copywriters in my meetings. I don't need suits and and analysts and things like that anymore. So he's of the opinion that you pull all of that stuff in-house and you let the creative agency do creative. So what we're doing is we we're spending a lot of time writing guidelines for the creative agencies. Um, we're not telling them what messages to do at all. We're just explaining uh, good old-fashioned media comms planning. Yeah. Um, terms like, you know, this is the market, this is what they look like, this is what excites them. And it's proving to be very helpful because what you're doing is you, you're coming to a creative agency with, with a really great framework that freedom of a tight brief concept. They're going, excellent. I need something that fits against this segment in this channel as an always on um, to this audience. And I need something that can create a, a spike of interest every now and then throughout the year in these channels. So the streams of cool, sparks of creativity is absolutely a, a creative agency framework. But what does it mean in media? Streams of cool, what is your always on media? Sparks of creativity, where are you activating? So to me, it's it's pretty simple. It's saliency driving media and it's your response driving media, just how they interact together and how they, how they flow across the year. But I, I think not enough is said by media people about this, but the creative agency is the most important cog in the entire communications engine. Um, It's responsible, according to Nielsen, uh, for for 47% of a brand's ROI. So it's still nearly half of the the effect. And media, I think, gets to about 27%, which is way more than it was, according to Comscore in 2010, where it was sitting at around about 13, 14%. Media is responsible for 27% of ROI. But um, creative at nearly 50%, nearly half a brand's ROI, it's super important. So you have to get them to do the stuff that they're good at. Um, and that may be communications planning from a message construct perspective, that's fine. But actually, we just need great executions that can stimulate um, our
1: target audience. Wayne, I'm going to just uh, toss it straight back to to the doc. Thanks for being with us today and to our listeners. Please join in, uh, send through any questions you'd like to address with Wayne. But really great to chat with you. And doc, I'm going to leave it to you to wrap.
2: Yeah, thanks Gordon. Jeez Wayne, that, that time flew, you know, it was such a a great discussion, and and uh, and thanks very much for that insight. Certainly, I find myself making quite a few notes here, and hopefully, listeners out there are making notes. Get a hold of Wayne, get all the PhDB part of the conversation, as Gordon and I always say. Wayne, thanks very much. I certainly hope um, that that does come through. That that you do have both sides of the equation. My my worry, my fear is that with desperate times, you know, I have worked with and and know a lot of brands who are probably going to revert to I want the sales, I want it now much like, I guess, the post-2008 um, behavior. Hopefully, it doesn't happen. Hopefully, you guys play the 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 kind of meaningful role that you guys are playing. And again, from my side, thanks very much for your time. Thank you, both
0: It was a Really appreciate
2: it. Jeez, uh, that's another week. Uh, Gordon, another great Doc and the Guru. Very interesting with Wayne Bishop.
1: It's really great. I mean, I, I thoroughly enjoyed time with the Young Turks uh, uh, of media, and I'm just mm-hmm. really excited We've got people like Wayne in this country. My only concern is we need another half a dozen uh, people like that. But uh, I think the signs are good. There's young talent out there. Let's build it. It's that balance between, uh, you know, the under-30s and the over-30s. Common sense will prevail on this sort of thing at the
2: end of the day. But, yeah, really good. Really enjoyed that. Great. Excellent. Uh, Please tune in uh, next week. It's all free. Download, like us, follow us, and be part of the conversation. Until next week, we'll chat then. And so there was another episode of The Doc and the Guru Please don't uh, forget to get a hold of us on Facebook, like us, follow us, uh, subscribe to the podcast. And then from my side, you can get a hold of me on LinkedIn, Dr. Doug Mataz. I'm uh, very active and very keen to hear about your views uh, and certainly will respond and hopefully we can bring that into the show.
1: Thanks, Doc. And it's uh, Gordon Miller, the guru, signing off. Thank you for being with us and listening into this podcast today. You can pick up the discussion with me on my Twitter handle, at media. And I'd love to engage with you on any of the issues that we've taken on in the show. And take us out our word. This is really going to be an open forum. There are no subjects that are taboo. And we'd love to have some of the younger, more under-listened, if that's the correct phrase, uh, voices to join us uh, in this discussion. Thanks for your time.
0: The Dark and the Guru, proudly brought to you by Infinity Media, incubating innovative businesses in the media industry.